I want to go back this morning to the book of Matthew, where we've been looking together over the last couple of weeks. You heard the testimony, that glory story this morning about what that individual was learning as we've talked about the rest of God, entering into the rest of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Everybody doing okay? Are you at rest this morning? We've talked about it, and I just want to say it again. You know, this is something that is really foundational. It should be foundational to the life of every believer, and yet I think there's a lot of people who miss out on this. And whether they do or not, I don't want it to get past us. I want us as a church and as a family to make what we're talking about right now and these words of Jesus that we're about to read, these need to be fundamental, foundational words to our lives how we live our lives, how we go about doing this church. I want to live life at rest. Anybody else interested in living a life at rest? People don't really understand that, I've found. Because when most people think about rest or the concept of rest, it typically never goes any further beyond, you know, a power nap. Or getting a good solid eight hours at night. And those things are great, man. I'm looking forward to one here in just a couple hours. Those things are wonderful. Getting the physical rest that you need. And not only are they good things, but we'll search the scriptures together and find out. Actually, God is very interested in you having that. He built us and intended that we would take time to rest, to rest our bodies, to rest our minds, to, and to do that at least one day a week. And then on top of that, to take, to take more extended periods of time and rest, rest physically, rest mentally. We need that kind of rest. And I, I'm hungry for us to get to that because there's some real revelation in it. There's some things Jesus specifically said about resting physically and, and, and given this body and this mind the opportunity to chillax. You know, I think that's a medical term, but just to, just to take a time out and relax, relax. And it does so much for us. It does so much for the body. And I've got scripture on this. I've got examples from our own life and marriage to prove, man, God is interested in this. He will invest in this. Sarah and I have seen it for our entire marriage, which will be 15 years this year. We have watched God provide for us in miraculous ways. And some of the most miraculous uh, demonstrations of provision and prosperity that we've ever seen in our life has been connected to him calling us away to rest. God has paid for whole vacations for us in miraculous ways. He has upgraded us in ways that we could not have done it ourselves. I mean, I'm thinking about a handful of times right now that he has done such marvelous things for us. And I want to tell you these stories because I think you'll really get a kick out of them. But we can't even get to that. You cannot get to what it means to rest physically, to what, what it means to rest mentally or in your soul until you establish what it means to rest spiritually. This is just like everything else God does. Have you noticed this about him? He's an inside out God. Have you ever figured that out about our God? He's inside out. Everything he does, he does from the inside out. Everything else in this world apart from him that has nothing to do with him, it's all about outside in. When people think about change, they think about from the outside in. They look at themselves in the mirror and go, wow, that's too much. We got to do something about that. Or they look and say, well, that's not enough. We got to do something about that. And they, th they start thinking about changing this this physical being making changes from the outside in. They, they look at what they're living in and think, well, this is no good. We got to make a change. They, they look at what they're driving. Oh, I don't like that, what they're wearing. Oh, we got to make a change. We got to make a change. They look at their spouse and think, oh, I got to make a change. But that's trying to change stuff from the outside in. And it doesn't work like that. 
Oh, yeah, you can change the physical body. You can change the, the physical environment you live in, what you drive, what you wear. You can change who you marry to. But guess what? You can change all that and marry somebody else. And then you figure out in that marriage, guess what's the common denominator between the junk going on in this one and the junk going on in that one? You. So the change can't be just changed from the outside. It's got to be inside out. Everything God does for us in this life, it's always from the inside out. He's an inside out God. And this, while we're talking about rest, this is no different. What am I telling you? You will never rest physically. You will never rest mentally. And you will never reap the benefits of physical, mental, emotional rest until you learn to rest spiritually. That's on the inside. And this is the foundation we've been laying for the last couple of weeks. And Jesus, Jesus said this in the book of Matthew chapter 11. Look at these verses again, starting in verse 25. And I think we'll have them on the screen for you. He said in Matthew eleven twenty-five, 25, says at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them. We've talked a lot about this word revealed and what that means. It means to turn the light on, to rip the cover off. To show you something, something that you haven't seen, something that you're not seeing, but you need to. And Jesus is talking about what's being revealed to people. He said, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. And all these things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the, the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Jesus is saying it is impossible to know God unless you get to know him through a revelation that only comes through Jesus. You hear people in the world, they like to talk about this, how all these many roads that lead to God and these many paths that all lead to the same God. Wrong. Please don't buy into that. It's not true. There is one way. There is one truth. There is one life. It's Jesus. Amen. And he is the only way, the only truth. He's the only way to live life. And he's the only way to get to know the Father. You don't come to a revelation of God unless you've come to it through Jesus and what he reveals to you. Jesus said nobody knows him except the one that, that the Son wills to reveal him. Now, when you stop right there, you think, well... Man, I, I sure hope Jesus wills to reveal the Father to me. <laughs> Fingers crossed, right? Knock on wood because some he does and some he doesn't. I'm so tired of that. I said, I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired of stuff getting blamed on God because the depth of revelation that people have of him is sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. That's lazy. That's lazy when the truth and the answer is on your lap. It's in the word. And you can find out some things instead of just going with, man, I'm, am I cranky this? I don't mean to be cranky this morning, but I'm tired of this. I'm tired of God getting blamed for stuff that wasn't him. And I'm tired of people not knowing more about him when Jesus has made it so clear. And yeah, if you stop right there, it does sound like that. It sounds like there's some that Jesus would reveal the father to. There's some that he wills not to. But the thing is, Jesus didn't stop right there. He said, no one knows the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. Look at the next word. So come to me. Who? Oh, y'all. Everybody. Everybody, come to Jesus. Why? Because this is who he wills to reveal the Father to. Who? Everybody. You, me, all of us. Come to me all. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. And that's all of us. That is your life until you come to him. And what did he say? I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. Now, don't disconnect that from what he just said about revealing the Father. Rest reveals the Father. It reveals things about him. It reveals his character. It reveals his nature. It reveals how he does things. 
And I believe what else Jesus is saying to us is that there are things, only things that you can see about the Father when you're resting. There are things that will not be revealed to you while you labor, while you toil, while you sweat and work for it. And remember, we're talking about spiritually. There are many, many, many millions, if not more, people all over this planet who are still working for it to get something from God. Still trying to measure up, still trying to sweat, still trying to toil in an effort to impress him. Why? Out of fear, because their concept is one day when I'm dead and gone, I'm going to stand at at a gate and Peter's going to be standing there and he's going to put all my good stuff on one side of the scale and all my bad stuff on the other side and all my good works and my good words and my bad works and my, and my bad words. And I hope that all, oh man, I hope, I hope I can tip those scales in just the right way. Make it in. This isn't true. This isn't right. And can you see how there's no rest in that? That's burden. That's a toil and a toilsome life. The truth is when you come to Jesus, he takes the burden and he gives rest. That's his gift. And it's a gift of his grace that has to be received by faith. Learning to rest and to live this life at rest. Let me tell you again about some of these words. When he said, come to me, all you who labor, that word labor means to grow weary, tired, exhausted with toil or burdens or grief to labor. It says with wearisome effort to toil, to feel fatigue, to work hard. But in contrast to that, the word rest means to cause or permit someone to cease. To stop all that. To cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. I like this word, to refresh. To refresh. Can you say that word with me? Refresh. Break it up in its syllables. Refresh. The word itself is kind of funny. Because typically, things can only be fresh once you know that about fruit and produce and vegetables things can be fresh but just once and really not for very long but this miracle that we have access to in this life of rest this gift of gift of rest is not just being fresh once but being refreshed fresh again oh yeah refreshed. I love studying some of this because of some of the pictures that the words paint. This word refreshed can mean to escape the heat. Which Sarah already told you just a day or two ago, we were in Branson, Missouri for this family wedding. And man, it's like hot. It's 110,000 degrees there. And the humidity... And we're all in suit and tie and dress and the kids are all dressed up. And I'm sure the family pictures will be pretty, but everybody's sweating like crazy in them. At one point they were taking pictures and I said, sweaty on three, one, two, three. And just sweat dripping down your back. And, but the word refresh actually means to escape all that. And that's why she was talking about being so thankful when we drove back up in here into the mountains and there's this cool breeze. It's so refreshing. I was fresh when I left here. Got stinky, smelly, sweaty down there. I needed a what? Refreshing. To be made fresh again. If you think about it, that's a miracle. Nothing else in creation gets that. But we can be refreshed. And did you notice in that definition, it had to do with getting your strength back? What is this year? This better than ever year? It's the year where the, where the God of all grace is working in us to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. And now we're starting to see where this strength comes from. 
It's living at rest. There's a a strength that comes back to you. Why? Because you spent a bunch of it working. All that strength going out of you. What do you need? You need to come away and be refreshed, re-strengthened. This is the life Jesus is inviting us to live in. This rest. It talked about toil. What Jesus is saying here is, I want to take your labor. I want to take your heavy burden. I want to take your toil. Now this is, I'm not telling you to go home and tomorrow call and quit your job. You understand that, right? I'm living at rest. That's not what we're talking about. There's still work to be done. But what we're redeemed from is toil. Toil. You don't have to turn there, but in the book of Genesis chapter three, this is early on, right? And this is just after God had told his man, his woman, don't eat of this tree. And you know the story. Eve was deceived, told Adam to take a bite of the the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We won't go through the whole thing, but you know, they went and they hid themselves from God and God came looking for them. And I want you to notice, this is Genesis 3, verse 17, what God said to Adam just after he had eaten of that tree. He says, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. He said, cursed, cursed is the ground for your sake in toil. You will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field, verse 19, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. What happened as the result of man disobeying God? God came and said, because you did this, the ground is cursed. And you're gonna have to toil. This is like new vocabulary for them. Now, Adam was not unaccustomed to work in the ground. God had already told him that a chapter two before. He said, keep the garden. So there was always some effort involved. There was always work involved. That word keep had to do with guarding it, protecting it. But now all of a sudden, because of disobedience, God comes and says, because of that, you're breaking my heart. The The earth is cursed. The ground is cursed. And now if you want to eat, it'll be in your own toil. And then he looked at him and said, it'll be in the sweat of your face that you eat bread. Don't you know Adam just looked back at him and said, what's sweat? I'm serious. Never sweat for a thing in his life. It had all been a gift. It had all been a gift. I want you to think about that as we go on in this. Think about that that garden and the environment. And the garden wasn't just the Garden of Eden because of the the food that was given as a gift. It wasn't just the Garden of Eden because it was beautiful. Or it wasn't just the Garden of Eden because it was untouched and unspoiled by the curse. Do you remember what the Bible said? God came down and walked with them in the cool of the day. That's what makes it the Garden of Eden. All the other stuff is wonderful, it's beautiful, but what makes it the Garden of Eden is the presence of the Lord, okay? And now God's telling them, now you're gonna have to work for it. Now you'll have to sweat for it. And he said, it's gonna produce thorns and thistles. There was never any of that stuff. Never a thorn, never a thistle. But because of man's disobedience, The earth was cursed and now it starts producing something that's going to make him work, make him sweat, make him toil. Okay. Go to the book of Exodus chapter 33. We've talked for the last couple of weeks uh, specifically about the children of Israel in that first generation that God rescued out of Egyptian bondage. And what a picture their lives were 
of what Jesus is rescuing us from. The Bible says these things about them were written and told to us as examples. These are all types, if you will, shadows of our lives. And you think about what you know about them in in Egyptian bondage. And the scriptures that we have from the book of Exodus talk about the burden. Talk about the the bricks that they had to make and the, the workload that they had to carry. And it was breaking them. It was breaking them on the inside. It was breaking them down physically. And they cried out for help to God. He heard them and he sent a deliverer. He sent a rescuer by the name of Moses in there to let my people go. And to not just bring them out of the labor and out of the toil, but bring them in to a promised land. To a land that flows, he said, with milk and with honey. And when you look at this from the New Testament perspective, the book of Hebrews talks about this promised land, but God refers to it as my rest. His rest was a place. His rest was a place. He called it my rest. But if you know anything about their journey out of Egypt into the wilderness, see, Egypt was living in the land of not enough. God delivered them out of that, brought them into the wilderness. We won't take time to look at the whole thing, but it's clear to see in the wilderness, it was the land of just enough. God made provision for them every single day. There was something to eat every day, but there was instruction. Don't gather more. Don't gather less. Just gather what you need. So that's a step up, right? Out of not enough into just enough. But that's not where God wanted to leave his people. And it's not where God wants to leave you. It's not where God wants to leave me. He's brought them just like he's brought us out of a land of not enough into a land of just enough with the intent, come on church, of taking us into the land of what? More than enough. A land that flows with milk and honey. I want to talk just for a second about what that actually means, because I grew up here in these scriptures and I got to be honest, every time I heard a land that flows with milk and honey, all I could think about was people wading around in milk up to their ankles and everything they touched was sticky because there's just honey everywhere. And though there were those natural things present, what it actually represents is a fertile land. A land that will produce the seed that you sow in it, a prosperous land. I'll tell you more about it here in just a second. But in Exodus chapter 33, you see these people have come out. But instead of going into the land that God promised them, they complain all the time. They they grumble. They're stubborn. They do the very opposite of what he's told them to do. And then when he says, don't do something, they end up doing that thing. And here in Exodus chapter 33, God's had enough. He says in verse one to Moses, Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. Check this out. You and the people you brought out of the land of Egypt. God's like, you did that. I had nothing to do with that. You you and the people you brought out of the land of Egypt to the land, which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your descendants, I I will give it. But notice verse two. He said, I will send my angel before you. I'll drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and or the Hivite and the Jebusite. Verse three, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God's saying, listen, I'll send an angel. Y'all go take the land. I told you I'd give it to you. I will give it to you. The, The angel will go before you. He'll drive out all the inhabitants. It's yours. It flows with milk and honey. I ain't going. Why? If I go with y'all, this is the Texan version. If I go with y'all, I'm likely to kill every last one of you. I can't take any more complaining. I can't take any more grumbling. You hard-hearted, stiff-necked, stubborn bunch of people. I think this is a pretty good indicator. God doesn't like hanging out with grumbly people. Do you? I don't. I mean, do you enjoy people who always find something to complain about? No. 
You don't like hanging out with that. Newsflash, revelation. God doesn't either. He don't want to hang out with these people for another second. He said, I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you where? To that land I told you about. The one that flows with milk and honey. Now, let me tell you something else about this land. This is cool. And what really it means to flow with milk and honey and the abundance of the provision that's there. Don't turn here, but listen to it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Bible says in verse 10. It says, so it will be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you. Listen, large and beautiful cities which you didn't build. That sounds like rest. Houses full of all good things, which you didn't fill. That sounds like rest. He said, hewn out wells, which you did not dig. Man, digging out a well, that's hard work, isn't it? Not that I've ever done it, but I can imagine. That's hard, sweaty work, digging out a well. And the Lord says, look, no, you're moving in. It's a big, beautiful city. Here's a house. It's already built. Fill up, filled with good stuff. There's wells that you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you didn't plant it, that means they're already producing. You're not going into a place and taking the time to plant and, 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 and nurture the seed and develop it and hope it grows and the weather's good and the water's right. No, no, no. Uh-uh. It's already producing. What's that sound like to you? Rest. Rest. No wonder he called this land my rest. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. So when it says flowing with milk and honey, that's what he's talking about. This big, beautiful city. These houses that are already built and filled up with good stuff. You've already got trees and vineyards that are producing. You've got wells that are dug. This is moving made easy. But notice what he said to him. Y'all can go have all that. I'm not going. He said, you're stiff-necked. If I go with you, I'm probably going to kill you. (laughs) At least he's honest. Skip down into the next few verses. Moses goes to meet with God and the the pillar of cloud descended and stood there and they're meeting in the, the, the tabernacle. And it says in verse 11, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face like a man speaks to his friend. Now, we know from just a few verses later, Moses didn't see the face of God. This is a reference to the way they're talking to each other. No pretense, no put on, no falseness, no fakeness, pure honesty. And I think God's being honest with his friend. I do not like these people. I'm not going with you. But Moses spoke honestly back with him. In verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, look, You say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know who you'll send with me yet. Now pay pay attention, church. Yet you've said, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Moses is getting kind of brave here with God. He's saying to him, This doesn't make sense. You know me. I know you. And you told me I found grace. And yet you're not going with me. Something's not right. Something's not stacking up. This this doesn't make sense. This is some boldness to say this to God. He said in verse 13, now therefore I pray. This is Moses. If I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. What did Jesus say? Nobody knows the Father. But there's a cry coming out of the heart of Moses. And allow me to paraphrase here, but I believe what he's saying is, I'm done looking at you through a cloud. I want to know you. And I know we're reading about an Old Testament guy here, but should this not still be the heart cry of every child of God? I just want to know you. 
I don't want to look at you through a cloud or a veil of tradition. I don't want to look at you through the, through the cloud of, of men's opinion of who you are. I want to know you. I want to know your way, is what he said. What's he say? I want, I want to know how you do things. I want to know why you do things. I want to know what makes you you. What makes you do things the way you do them. And, and I, I want to know you. I want to know you. So God responds to him. Well, back up again. Look at verse 13. I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, that I may find grace or continue to find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And God said to him in verse 14, listen to how he responded to that. Verse 14, my presence will go with you. But listen, what's connected to it? And I will give you rest. My presence, he talked God, number one, out of killing these people. Number two, out of abandoning them and leaving them to go. Moses talked God out of all that He talked God into going with him. He talked God into making the trip with him. But did you see what he connected it to? Grace. You said, I found grace. You said, you know me. I found grace in your sight. It's in the way you see me. Don't send me with somebody else. You come. We want you. We want you. And God evidently it touched his heart because he said, oh, okay, (laughs) okay, I'll go. My presence will go with you, but did you hear what he connected it to? And I will give you rest. And I love what Moses said to him after that. He said to him, verse 15, good. Because if your presence does not go with us, don't even bother bringing us up from here. We told you we were on that long drive yesterday. And I don't know, eight or 10 hours into it, I'm driving, meditating on some of these things, praying in the spirit. And I saw something in this I'd never seen before. That's what tells me this word is alive. God told him, I'll still give you the land. You can still have all the stuff. You can have the houses. You can have these, this big, beautiful city. It's already built. You can have the city. You can have the house. You can have the stuff in the house. You can have the wells that are already dug and producing water. You can, already, you can have the trees that are already producing fruit. You can have the vineyards that are already producing grapes. You can have all of it. I'll still give you the stuff. A lot of people would look at that and go, well, that's prosperity. Having all that stuff, man, man, what a blessing. I've been guilty of this. Imagine many of us have to look at living in this prosperous city, living in this, this beautiful home, living in this place where it's already producing. Oh, wow. That's the blessing. That's prosperity. But I want you to notice something. God told Moses, you can have all of it. I'm not withholding any of the stuff from you. I'm just not going. And I want you to notice what Moses said. If you're not going, we're not going. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up from here. Can you stop and think for a minute about what he actually just said to God? He actually said to God, I'd rather be in the wilderness than to live in some big, beautiful house that you're not in. I hope you're awake right now. Listen to me. That's prosperity. That's prosperity. Let me give you just a a personal perspective here. 
I do not like the term prosperity gospel. I don't like it. I don't like it for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't believe the word gospel needs any other word attached to it. I don't think it needs some other qualifier. I don't think it needs some other quantifier. The gospel is just fine on its own. Number two, I don't like that term because for the best that I can tell, it's something that some critic made up and labeled a group of people with, labeled a preacher with, and a critic who most likely never actually listened to one thing that man or woman had to say. Be careful about seeing yourself through the eyes of your critics. The more you meditate on their words about you, the more you begin to see yourself through that lens. What did Moses say? I found grace in your sight. This is the only place you find grace, church, is not in how other people see you. Grace is found in knowing how your father sees you. It's the only place it's found. Therefore, it's the only place you should be looking and the only place you should care about who sees you how. But one of the things that critics of the message have said, and even people who have heard the message have come to believe, it's that prosperity is the stuff. That you look at something good. Man, I think about it. I think about this house that the Lord put us in when Sarah and I moved up here. Man, he put us in a beautiful spot. Put us in a beautiful place. Bought it at the right time for a price. Just like if you own anything around here, you know it's gone up over the last little bit. And, and we step into that house and yeah, it needs a little work. But man, it's a great spot. It's got a great view. It's got some land. And you might look at that and go, man, what a blessing. No. The house is not the blessing. Because if God himself isn't in it, I don't care what the square footage is. I don't care what kind of view it's got. I don't care how many chandeliers you got hanging from the ceiling. I don't care about any of the stuff. I don't care about how fancy your car is parked in the garage. If God ain't riding with you, it's not prosperity. It's not prosperity. Do, do you see what's going on here? Moses said, if you ain't going, we ain't going. There was something that he could not get unless God went with him. And you got to be honest with yourself. What if God gave you that option? Yeah, I'll put you in a sweet place. I'll fill the bank account. I'll put you in a place that produces. You'll never lack for any good thing. It's a big, beautiful city. Big, beautiful houses already filled, ready for you to move in. Here's the only caveat. I'm not living in it with you. Sitting up in church, we're like, oh, I wouldn't do that. Be honest. Be honest. There's a lot of people that would have to think pretty hard. So you're saying, hang out in the wilderness, but you're here. Or I live in a big, beautiful house that you're not in. Give me a minute. It's not prosperity. And what Moses realized was that there was something that he could not get with somebody else taking him in. There was something that, that wouldn't satisfy with an angel going out before him and clearing everybody out. He said, I'm not going if you're not going. This needs to be the way we're living life. We ain't going if he ain't going. Moses could get the, the, the and all the children of the Israel could get the land, the house, the, the wells, the vineyards, all of it. But you know what would be missing if God wasn't with them in it? They'd be in all those things with no rest. Rest comes from his presence. The ability to enjoy something. You find out right away that the blessing is not the thing. The blessing 
is God in it with you. That's why prosperity cannot be measured in dollars. It cannot only be measured in in square footage. Something's big, something's grand. You can't measure it like that. You can live in some, you can live in 300 square feet. And if God's in it with you, you're rich. You are rich. Now that doesn't mean you got to stay there. What's he trying to get them to? He's trying to get them to the houses that are filled up, to the big, beautiful city, to the, to the wells that are dug, to the trees that are produced. He's trying to get them out of just enough to more than enough. But here's the catch. We ain't going, God, if you ain't going. And just that attitude and those words from the mouth of Moses so touched the heart of God that God said, okay, I'll go with you and I'll give you rest. Rest is prosperity. The ability to enjoy it. Knowing God's in it with you. And this is something we pray all the time in our house. Putting the kids to bed at night. We say, Lord, this is your place. We invite you to fill up every corner of this house. We invite you to make your presence known. We invite you to be manifested in this place. And there are people that want to fuss with that. Well, he's, he's in me. He's everywhere I go. Okay. Is he in manifestation? Everywhere the same? No. No. I'm talking about walking into a place and the peace of God being so rich and so thick in it that you just want to slide down in your chair and there's just not a lot to say. It's just so real. It's so tangible. And you sit in that place, whether it's 100 square feet or 10,000 square feet, and you think, God, you're here. Yeah, and you're so good. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me here and making a way for me here. You did this. Church, there's some confidence that comes with you when you can look at where you're at in life and what you're in in life and you can say, the Lord did this. I said, the Lord did this. That's prosperity. So I'm challenging you. When the Lord does something good and brings you something and he's, he's, we know he's more than willing and able to provide for us in every way, whether it's material, financial, physical, whatever it is, don't call that thing a blessing or the blessing. The blessing is that thing with God in it. The presence of the Lord is the blessing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Some of this is is new and fresh to me. I haven't said it quite this way, so I want to make sure I get this right. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we just do it right now? Just close your eyes and lift up a hand. Invite the Lord into this. Father, oh, we worship you. We love your presence. We love your presence, Lord. And we say the same thing Moses said. If you ain't going, we ain't going. We do not want to go somewhere in life, Lord, just because there's a, a, a bigger, nicer house waiting there. Just because there's something material, financial, physical, whatever, waiting there. Those things are fine, but they're nothing if you're not in it. We love your presence. We love your presence. Thank you, Lord. Look at one more scripture with me before we wrap this up. It's in the book of James, New Testament. New Testament. I know we're reading about this Old Testament guy and I just want to encourage you not to... Ignore something in the scripture just because it was written down previous to Matthew. There's rich things throughout the entire word of God. In the book of James, chapter 4, look at verse 13. Go ahead, guys. 
he's writing and he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city. We're going to spend a year there, buy, sell, make profit. Verse 14, he says, whereas you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. How are you making plans for a whole year when you don't even know what's happening tomorrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Verse 15, he says, instead, this is what you should be saying. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. So what was it they said? They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to move into this city over there because the economy's good over there. And that city's really growing and thriving and, and we can take our business and we can, we can move over there and we'll spend about a year there and we'll, we'll buy and we'll sell, we'll make a profit. Got this all figured out, right? Yeah. And his response to that was, you don't even know what's tomorrow. You have no idea what's going on tomorrow. Who are you to be making this big, long, grand plan about everything you're going to do and how it's all going to go? And did you notice what the plan was all centered around? The city, buying, selling, making profit. Oh, well, that's prosperity. Not if God's not in it. I said, not if God's not in it. Okay, so what should we be saying? He said, this is how you need to be talking. If the Lord wills. Now, so many people have taken that scripture and thought it just applied to everything. Well, we pray if the Lord wills for me to be healed, if the Lord wills for me to be well, if the Lord wills, that's not what he's talking about. The will of the Lord has been revealed to us in his word concerning so many things. But I've looked and I cannot find the scripture that says, Jeremy, you and Sarah need to move to Colorado and start a church. I couldn't find that scripture. Have you ever found a scripture when you're at the crossroads in life and, and, and it's time to make a decision about some direction and if you should go there or if you should go there? It'd be great. Believe me, I'd love it if there was one that called your name and told you what city to go to, told you what job to take, told you who to marry. But we don't have those scriptures that reveal the will of God. So what do we need to do? We need to find it out. Find out what the will of God is. Would it be safe to say that the promised land was God's will for these people? Of course it was. He told them it was. I'm go Let's go. Come on. This is where I'm taking you. We got to find out the same thing. And not just haul off and make some plans. Thinking we're going to go to such and such place and, and, and be there for a year and make all this money. You don't know. I said, you don't know. You need to stop. Be still. And before you pick up and go anywhere, you say, Lord, are you going? Because if you ain't going, we ain't going. Oh, but come on, man. Look, that city, anybody can make a million bucks there. The real estate's booming and, and you can go and you can buy, you can sell, you can trade, you can turn a profit, spend a little now in a year. It's going to be worth twice that. Says who? People don't know. It could all come crashing down tomorrow. And you made a bunch of plans that the Lord wasn't in. And if you do that, you can go. And you might even find a nice place to live. And you might even find a good paying job. But you know what you won't find if he's not there? Rest. You will lay yourself down at night. And be tied up in knots on the inside. Something's bugging me. Something's not right. Something's wrong. And you look at everything on paper. What is it? It should be good. I should be happy. I should be thrilled. And something's just gnawing at you. It's because you're trying to rest from the outside in. And you can't. Rest only happens from the inside out. 
And it starts with knowing where's the presence of the Lord. Because if he's not going there, I'm not going there. Lord, I want to go to this city. Look at all these great opportunities over there. Look at this job. They said they'd, they'd hire me and I get a, I get a two-time pay increase. Let's go, Lord, right? The Lord says, you can. You can have all of it. I'm not going. What should your response be? Yeah, me neither. I was kidding. Ha <laughs> ha, joke. Where are we going? What are we doing? Find out where he's going. Yes, but he's in me and he goes everywhere I go. Come on. Can we be honest? Yes, I know that. But if you want him on full display in your life, and if you want the rest that only comes with his presence, am I reading New Testament to you here? Find out what his will is, where his will is. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Do you notice that? It's not the richness that's the blessing. It's the blessing that made it. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. The NIV, put that up there for us. Proverbs 10, 22 in the NIV. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil. Or I guess you could say the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and there's rest in it. There's a bunch of ways to make yourself rich. There's a bunch of ways to make a bunch of money, have a bunch of nice things. You can have vacation homes all over the place around the world. But if you added it to you, there will be no rest in it. But when the blessing of the Lord does it, how about I say it like this? When the presence of the Lord is in it, there's no toil. There's no heavy burden. There's no labor. Is rest. Is the house the prosperity? Is the house the blessing? No. What's the blessing? The presence of the Lord in it. It's the presence of the Lord in it. Amen. Does this help anybody today? Why don't you stand up? Go ahead and stand up. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.